Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And this is episode 91 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode 91, we are going to go through a handful of announcements for uh, P&W for the most part. And then we will talk a little bit about uh, the meet that was Great West Invitational Virtual Meet uh, 2021 that took place just a a couple of days ago, uh, Friday and Saturday over the past weekend. And uh, then we're going to kind of talk about a handful of things around this idea of like, how do you have uh, a balance between let's say, you know, Quizmaster speed or room speed versus quality of the time. You don't want things to be super rushed. You also don't want things to drag on for forever. How do you have that kind of balance? Is there an optimal sort of range for, you know, what the Quizmaster is supposed to do in terms of both speed, disposition, attitude, other qualities? We'll be kind of talking about that a little bit as well. And how Quizmasters can kind of be at one spot on that sort of multi-dimensional graph at one point in their quiz mastering career and then shift uh, toward later in that career. And then kind of circling back a little bit to what we were talking about uh, in the latter half of last week's episode around the philosophy of quizzing. And I'm going to ask the question of um, how can we tell if we're being successful? Uh, we, we had talked a little bit about some of the goals or the mission of quizzing and I want to get to the question of like, well, how can we tell if we're actually being successful in what we're doing? And is quizzing ultimately the most efficient and effective way to produce the outcomes that we're trying to target? All right. So with that all said, let's jump into some announcements. These will be pretty uh, straightforward and pretty quickly here. These are all related to stuff that's going on within uh, P&W. So with the conclusion of the Great West Invitational Meet, we have one and only one P&W district meet remaining, and that is district championships. Uh, this year, that's that meet is going to be on Friday and Saturday, April 30th and May 1st. So Friday, April 30th, Saturday, May 1st. All teams within the district are invited to participate this year. Normally, we only uh, invite the top you know, percentage number of teams, but this weird is this weird. This year is very weird. Uh, and, uh, you know, we want to try to expand, you know, quizzing as much as we can. So we're inviting any teams that would like to participate to uh, participate. Of course, registration is required and that's all done on the website and that's underway right now. So uh, coaches, if you are listening to the sound of my voice and you have not registered and you would like to participate in district championships, now would be a great time to go to pnwquizzing.org and register. Uh, a couple other things coming up here uh, this week. In fact, actually tomorrow, the uh, PNW Board of Directors is going to meet. So these are the uh, five folks who are ultimately the voters and decision makers on a lot of sort of policy and, you know, planning and strategy and so forth for PNW quizzing. Uh, we are going to be meeting tomorrow to plan out uh, next season, uh, the uh, James Roman season. And uh, some of the topics that we're going to be talking about, we mentioned or, or we discussed briefly uh, in the General Assembly meeting that was the sort of leadership meeting during the 
previous district meet, uh, district meet number five. Uh, but some of those things are going to be like, well, do we do James first or do we do Romans first? Uh, traditionally, we do James first, but there has been some discussion about some benefits that could happen if we do Romans first. So we'll be figuring that stuff out. We'll also be figuring out um, some KVL sort of things. We'll, we're going to be figuring out our schedule for the, uh, the upcoming uh, quiz year and, and a bunch of other sort of stuff. So if you have opinions about any of those things, uh, or you have opinions about other things that I didn't mention, and you'd like the board of directors to consider it, uh, please uh, email me as quickly as you can, uh, or contact me in any variety of ways as quickly as you can with that uh, with with your topics, and I will try to represent those uh, before the board. Okay, and then uh, upcoming, I did mention that the board's going to be planning out next season. Uh, in terms of next season, I am putting out the call for volunteers to help with a couple of things. Number one, we need a Keyverse List Construction Committee, where committee needs to be more than one person. Um, it doesn't have to be particularly large, but um, even just two people would be enough. But something where we can, you know, the two or more people can banter about a couple of ideas for how we want to construct the KVL for the upcoming James Roman season, or Roman's James season, if you prefer. And then uh, more than that, although, I mean, that's going to be, you know, a, a a, a useful intellectual exercise, but it's not going to take a ton of time. What potentially could take time is uh, the question writing and editing team. Uh, and so I'd like to reduce the amount of time that any one person needs to devote to that by trying to get as large of a group to be involved in that process as possible. So certainly uh, quizzers probably shouldn't be involved in the question writing and editing uh, committee, but if you are anything other than a quizzer, so if you are a coach or if you are a quiz master or an official of any kind uh, or a parent or a spectator and you'd love to get into you know, some of the details, the, the inside quizzing uh, sort of stuff, uh, being a part of the question writing and editing group is a really, really great way to kind of dive into those details because, you know, we are constantly iterating over ways to improve the questions, to write them better, more effectively. And, uh, you know, just a lot of stuff comes into play there. So a lot of great discussions. All right. So with all that said, let's kind of jump into the meet that was Great West Invitational. And uh, let's see, I was the meet director, which meant that I didn't really do uh, all that much. Uh, but Scott was the, one of the two statisticians, when, which meant he was pretty busy. So, Scott, um, what was your kind of take on the meet and what were your uh, sort of takeaway thoughts? Let's see. My only takeaways are going to be statistical. So we had 48 quizzers from the three districts. Um, we did a lot of quizzing. On average, um, each team quizzed almost 14 times, so between 13 and 14 times. Western Canada 5 won the meet. We had um, one team from each district in finals, which is always cool. Two quizzers really stood out to me individually. There was William from West Can who... Um, averaged an 85 during prelims, which was first. Averaged a 67.7 for the meet, which included eight additional quizzes over semifinals and finals. Um, quizzed out in 61% of his quizzes. And the average question number that he quizzed out on was 12.2. So very oh, early in the quiz. Nice. And had an 80% accuracy. So you kind of have to have all of those together 
to gauge dominance. And then next would be Abigail from Pacific Northwest had a 66 in this is actually kind of nuts. A 66 in prelims, but had a 66.4 for the entire meet. So actually averaged higher in non-prelims quizzes than in prelims, which was over um, only semifinals and finals quizzes, which is quite impressive. Uh, she quizzed out in 52.9% of her quizzes. So those two are the only two to quiz out in more than half their quizzes. She did not air out. William did air out. Um, Abigail quizzed out on average on question 16, and her accuracy was 81%. So both of those were very, very stellar. And there were, all, there were other good individual, very good individual performances. Those two just definitely stood out. What else? We had, well, I had the data here. We had no fifth person bonuses, which is probably to be expected because there weren't that many five person teams. And there was only three, one. Yeah, I have it here, actually. There was just one. You're right. Um, we did have three fourth person bonuses, which is cool all by the same team and we had 36 third person bonuses i didn't have accuracy for the whole meet but i think it was right about 60.7 percent which i think is a tad bit higher than normal but only slightly it's always crazy to me how much the the accuracy numbers are um they're almost at an equilibrium that will never change even if you change almost everything else which is kind of crazy like i think Quizmasters do like I think quizmasters are pretty different. But if you look at our four quizmasters, the one who had the highest accuracy in their room had 61.79% and the lowest was 57.96%, which is less than a 4% difference from highest to lowest accuracy. Um and it's just yeah, there's so much about quizzing that forces a certain um accuracy. Um and not really forces it on people, but it's the scoring that dictates what sort of accuracy people are desiring in a subconscious manner. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, there's a lot of dy- dynamics in play, and those dynamics kind of work themselves out to kind of like a, a Nash equilibrium uh, point. And we we hit that point, and you can try to manipulate one side or the other, but ultimately the I don't know. I'm I'm envisioning like a graph with balls that run down the slopes of the thing. They the balls will ultimately find the equilibrium point. Yeah, because if you have amazing quizzers, well, they're limited to how many they can get right. And then if you have quizzers who are just jumping a ton and and erring, well, they're limited in multiple ways, right? Because they're limited to three errors a person, but also it forces their whole team to sit out after their error. So um, all of those dynamics work together. Which, by the way, is why I think that there should almost never be a reason to have two team quizzes or at least they should be avoided at all costs because the dynamics are just thrown completely off and they're just weird. Yeah. I I dislike two team quizzes for the same reason I dislike um, XYZs or XYZs. I, I, I think it's, it's, it is quizzing in a very loose definition of the term, but it is not quizzing in the sense that, that how we normally quiz it's, it's, so extraordinarily different as to be almost a different sport. I think it's probably fine for overtime because what else are you going to do? And it's just a tack on at the end. But the dynamics are different in that um, you change the constraints of the quiz, right? Most times people are forming their strategy around a 20-question quiz where I think on average about 24 questions total get asked of you. But then in these scenarios that you can't really control – 
the quiz is probably more like 27, 28 questions, which to me, um, if I knew that from the start, would plan very differently for it based on how strong my team is, how deep my team is, and how strong and deep they are relative to my opponents in the quiz. But you don't know that until you're tied. And then it could be that one team just zooms ahead in overtime because they have the strongest number three quizzer when if it was down to just 20 questions maybe nine times out of ten the other team would win right right indeed yeah i mean i've been in situations where and i know you have been as well where you go into an overtime quiz in brackets uh, and teams one and two are sitting there and team one and i only say one just because they're on the far left they're not that they're higher or lower than team two but one of the two teams has let's say three quizzers and one is aired out and the other two have quizzed out and you're like okay well great we just sit here for for you know for three questions and if you know the team two gets three shots at you know vaulting ahead of us and that's just the way it works um but it is what it is yeah now that's why most district finals and then meets like great western internationals there just aren't like everyone is so good at quizzing that there's not enough questions to go around. So you never have that dynamic in overtime, right? Right, right, right. Uh, in overtime, oftentimes all teams' number one quizzers are still in the quiz, but at least they're number two quizzers. And so you don't have any of those weird dynamics in overtime of those meets. Because, like, I mean, at this Great West, there's only four quizzers that quizzed out more than 30% of the time. So, and those right. are the, the very best, right? So basically every quizzer was always in the quiz up until the end. For the whole meet, you know, so right. Indeed. I think that's I think that's all my observations on Great West. Unless you have some specific questions on the statistics, statistics or other things that you observed. Um. Well, I mean, there are things that I observed. I mean, I, there were a couple of things that the good things and bad things about the meet. Um. Just kind of spitballing here. I think it, it is always good for P and W to have the opportunity to quiz with CMD and West Can. Uh, the West Can and CMD are two very strong districts with a lot of great uh, quizzers traditionally and even to, to the present day. And with a, you know, a traditional and to the present day strong leadership uh, at, at multiple levels, both at you know the, the district leadership all the way down to the church leadership level, the coach leadership level, uh, two really great districts. And so it is always a phenomenally good thing for PNW to be involved in Great West because we get better because we're competing against these two very strong districts. Um, and it makes us better uh, at everything that we do. It makes quizzers better at being quizzers. It makes, you know, quiz masters be better at quiz masters and, and on down the line and coaches be better at coaching and so forth. So it's a great opportunity for all of those things. And it was wonderful. It was unwonderful that it was virtual. Uh, I mean, it's certainly better than nothing. Uh, it was great to be able to at least occasionally, very, very briefly, uh, see video of, of different uh, folks from uh, Canada. And it was great to hear people's voices and, and to be able to engage at least somewhat uh, virtually that way. Of course, you know, I, I think we're all longing for the day when we can get back to in-person quizzing. Hopefully that is not far away. Uh, but, uh, so that was kind of an unfortunate uh, bit about it. This is the second Great West that we've had to do virtually, hopefully the last, uh, that we will have to do virtually. And I, I believe that to be the case, but I've been wrong about those predictions in the past. Um, so 
it was smaller. It was a smaller Great West than we usually have. Well, okay, at least in virtual. I mean, in person, actually not that, not all that much different. But we had 12 teams. We had four rooms. And uh, in a an attempt to maximize the amount of quizzing, uh, I made a 10 quiz prelim uh, a, a, across two five uh, time slot uh, groupings. So 40 quizzes in total, 20 quizzes per uh, block on one one block on Friday and one block on uh, Saturday, which meant that because 12 is evenly divisible by three uh, and four, it turns out that there are no buys anywhere. Uh, so there were three uh, team quizzes in every quiz. There were four rooms and no team ever got a break um, until you got to basically brackets. <laughs> um, basically, if you if you won, what was it? Quiz D? Yeah, if you won, whoever won first place in quiz D got to have like a two or three quiz break before they got into the championship quiz or something like that. But I mean, apart from that, I don't think anybody ever got a break until they were done. Um, so that's kind of brutal. Um, also kind of kicking on top of that, normally in PNW, we run 20 minute quizzes. Uh, and so usually, and of course this is in person, not virtually, uh, but in person meets, we typically schedule 20 minutes of quiz and sometimes they're, you know, 17 minutes, sometimes they're 23 minutes, but they tend to average out around 20 minutes, give or take a little bit. And so typically that tends to work out reasonably well across an in-person meet. Uh, with virtual, we tried 20 minute quizzes once and it was a disaster. And so I upped it to 30 minutes uh, on the schedule and that seems to work out reasonably well across the, the typically we run four rooms uh, at our district. And so you know, 30 minute quizzes tends to work out reasonably well. And, and usually because, uh, I forget exactly how it works out, but we usually end up with a buy, uh, somewhere, uh, in the schedule. Maybe it's because we only have three rooms. That's what, that's what it is. We do three rooms, not four. And we, uh, quizzes, uh, quizzers usually have a buy or two somewhere within the schedule. So the, it does break things up a bit and we have 30 minute quizzes, but what we found in this great West that was kind of interesting and kind of a, maybe a topic that we can discuss as to maybe why this was the case. Uh, we found that the average quiz was actually a lot closer to 45 minutes. There were some periods of time where we could actually get quizzes, a, a block of quizzes done in 30 minutes, but the, I'd say, uh, I have to pull up the, the stats to actually remember this, but I want to say at least 75, maybe even 80% of the time blocks uh, ultimately had to be adjusted to 45 minutes so that we could actually get everything done within those blocks. Essentially, quizzes were typically taking up to 45 minutes to complete, um, which is, you know, from a 30-minute perspective, going from 30 to 45 is a big jump, but I'm coming from the perspective of PNW where, you know, in person, we're, we're used to 20-minute quizzes. So going from 20 minutes to 45 is a massive, you know, difference uh, in in the the sort of the style, the the time pressure, that kind of stuff. And as a result, I think the meet went a lot longer in terms of clock time than uh, than we were originally anticipating. That, along with the fact that the three teams that made it into finals were all very, very good and very, very close to each other in terms of, and actually, Scott, you have some stats to, to, to talk about this that, that are kind of interesting. 
the the three teams were so close that even by points they were you know within a, a a fraction of each other and we ended up having to do four quizzes in finals to actually determine the winner which you know in great west is probably not something we want to do i think probably you know first team to win once is good enough um but anyway scott do you you have those stats handy in terms of how close those three teams were yeah, so the team that won took two firsts and two thirds over um, the four quizzes, and the other two teams took a first, a third, and two seconds. So all three teams ended up with um, a total of eight placements. Um, so there was n- almost nothing between them there, except the team that won twice won it all, which we want to reward winning, right? More than we want to reward avoiding third. Um, but the team that won accumulated 390 points over the four quizzes. The team that was second accumulated 400, and the team that was third accumulated 380. So there was a 20-point difference between highest scoring and least scoring over those four quizzes, and um, the winning team was actually in the middle. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a... It was a- it was both a brutal process and a very interesting process that, I mean, these, these three teams were very close to, uh, to each other in their skills and their capabilities. Um, and it was, I mean, it was great quizzing to be able to observe, but you could definitely feel the lack of energy toward the, you know, Saturday afternoon, uh, into very late afternoon, depending on, upon your time zone. Uh, the energy level was, was definitely waning and you could tell quizzers were getting exhausted. And, you know, that's understandable. I mean, you know, Scott and I have talked in the past about how to maintain, you know, a proper level of energy and and energy maintenance during the course of the meet. And yeah, that stuff is important, but there's only so much you can do. You're going to get tired uh, towards the end of the meet. And these three teams were exhausted uh, by the end of it. And I think, you know, the fact that quizzes were oftentimes taking 45 minutes probably contributed to that to some degree because like you know if a quiz is is short and quick and you're over with it it's like okay great i can decompress for you know a minute or two before i head into my next you know quiz but if a quiz is going for 45 minutes like you can't decompress even if you're taking a time out you can't really like totally let go of everything because you're in the middle of a quiz um so it it, it seems to me that would make things a little bit tougher um, Scott's what, what, what are your takes on how that stuff went and what are your thoughts around maybe like, why were we running 45 minute quizzes? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Um, is it a trend of things to come or just sort of an aberration for this particular meet? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think as far as the quizzers go, they just had a, tre- they had a tremendous amount of quizzing, right? Cause we did five prelims on Friday. So on Saturday, um, like the teams that were in finals quizzed 16, 17, and 18 times for the meet, which means they quizzed 11, 12, and 13 times on Saturday alone. Add to that that a meet like Great West is more tiring because the bulk of these quizzers are probably quizzed out at the district level by question 12, 10 or 12, and the bulk of them were not never quizzed out for any quiz, which means you are grinding till the end. Um, so I think every single quiz is more tiring um, on average compared to the district quiz, but then there was just way more of them. Like even PNW in our district, we're doing um, a max of probably 10 quizzes a meet, maybe even nine, and three to four of them are on Friday. So, I mean, our quizzes are quizzing less than half the amount on Saturday than they had to do at Great West. Right. So I think it's just a huge 
mental outlay. And then also the fact that I think walking between rooms is definitely a a mental decompression that you don't really get in virtual, which by the way can extend to virtual work as well, right? You just have fewer of those built-in movement times when you don't realize how decompressing it really is, but it is. Right. And then indeed. and then as far as quiz mastering, I think virtual prov- like has a lot more responsibilities on the quiz master, right? From even just having to type in you know something in chat before each question um really there's only added things going on i think it's often harder to hear the quizzers um so i think there's a yeah there's just a lot going on and then also in my experience pnw is the only district that still does 20 minute quizzes in our for in person in our district everyone else does 30 and it and um it seems like everyone else is also just kind of resigned to the fact that their meets end up one or two time slots behind. And we often end up behind, but I don't know. It feels like we're less fine with it. Um, <laughs> yes. Like, like we're more upset about the fact, even though most of the time you're fairly powerless. Well, I guess once you're behind, you're, you're more or less powerless um, depending on how you've set up your meet um, to how much, you can actually gain any time back. But I mean, I remember it was, I think 2015 international finals and it ended up going four quizzes. And I think every single quiz took almost an hour. Wow. Um, wow. And when I say that, that's including, you know, it'd be like one quiz would finish. And then, um, the quiz master would be like, you, you have 10 minutes to confer with your team before we start the next one or something, you know? So like, there's just a lot of like built in time like that, but you could tell almost no one, like everyone was in the audience was done after like two hours of this. Um, and it was just the participants on the stage grinding away until the conclusion. Um, so I don't know. I don't want to say that PNW does it better. It just seems like we care more about um, being efficient with time. And I think it definitely results in our quizzers quizzing more, right? Um, we often do six prelims plus a normal bracket. Whereas it's very common for other districts to do three prelims plus a normal bracket. So on average, our quizzers might quiz 30 to 35% more um, in over the course of a year than other districts. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and so that kind of leads me into, well, actually, before I go there, do you have an idea of, do you think it's just the fact that we're virtual that, that we've, is, is the sort of the core reason why we drifted into 45 minutes? Are there other things that we can do in virtual to kind of bring that time back in a little bit? I'm not sure. I didn't watch any quizzes, but sounds like we had a particular quiz master who was very, very fun, but might also have been the main reason for the 45 minute quizzes, which um, I think is going to lead into our maybe our next discussion. I don't know if this is a perfect segue of like, what is the balance for a quiz master to strike? Right. Because I think I would say for virtual quizzes, I would bias towards fun as an official almost as much as possible. Um, yeah, and but, I think you're right. I I think the bias should be towards fun, and I I admit that begrudgingly because the sort of the competitor in me and the you know try to maximize efficiency part of me is is deeply annoyed by the truth of of that. But I believe what you what you say is truth. Right. So like it, it could be that if you pulled the top five to ten quizzers, they would say, oh yeah. Whenever there's a more fun quiz master who throws in more things kind of between questions and stuff, it, it, it makes it easier for me to become unfocused over the course of the quiz or, you know, something like that, which would be a negative. But for that 
very particular kind of quizzer in a very particular kind of situation, right? And so I think if you have an internationals quiz master, I think that they should be pretty efficient and everything that they do should be very consistent, right? And have a very similar flow between questions and they're not being very loquacious after one question and then not after the next. Um, Because I think that consistency really leads to fairness among everyone. But I think at a meet, like a virtual meet, I think that those goals are much less important, right? Of just the... um, fine-toothed level of consistency and fairness for all your participants, I think that's less of a concern. Yeah. I mean, to take it into the sports world, it would be sort of like the, you know, if the Masters decided to switch to Wii Golf or something, um, like, I don't know, that's probably an egregious example, but it's the first one that popped into my mind. So before we get into the, you know, optimal quiz master disposition, attitude, qualities, and so forth discussion, um, kind of a pre not a prerequisite but part of that but it which which is certainly going to be heavily influenced by the quiz master but what do you consider to be and it, it's not about the number of minutes although i guess we could use that as a as a poor proxy but what do you consider to be the optimal speed of a quiz uh and let's let's say let's justify this as being or not justify let's limit this down to a typical in-person quiz and not so much by minutes right but like uh, I don't know. Is, is there a way to describe speed in terms of the, of the effect rather than the you know minutes involved? Yeah. So I would I would call it flow and consistency. And the quizzer needs to be like everything presented to the quizzer should be expected um, and almost like a nat like a natural expectant. Because I find the best quiz master. Um, you don't think about what's happening, but kind of between questions and even in the verbal, like formal run up to a question, but it always happens the same way. And if it ever doesn't, it's very jarring to focus. And so like, I mean, I think of, you know, John Caskey 15 years ago or, or Tony, um, or Ken Sproul 10 years ago, like they just had this, it was like calm, but precise, And I always described Caskey as almost sleepy, but the consistency was unbelievable, right? You just, you'd hear question number one is an interrogative question. Question number one, question. It's asked, the quizzer says it, and then you'll hear like with that little draw, just kind of like, that's correct. Very expected amount of time. And then question number two is a chapter verse reference question. And then like it, everything flowed and it like, it was never rushed. There was never like this weird eight second pause between questions. And I think like the quizzers all benefit because you're kind of all, all 12 of you are just in this groove of, you know, what's being presented to you and nothing is ever unexpected. And so you're able to just execute as well as you can. And you don't have to handle, um, like the mental parsing of a weird timing or circumstance presented to you. Yeah, I totally agree. We One of the things that you and I were talking about, uh, well, uh, typing uh, back and forth to each other as we were, uh, you know, nearing the end of the bracket round, I think it was before we moved into the championship quizzes, but we were talking about uh, controlling speed in a room in terms of clock time and so forth. And we both sort of were in agreement of, of something that we had, I, I'm pretty sure we've talked about in the past. 
around the best tool that a quiz master has. I mean, there is essentially like you listed out, like I think three things and I can only remember two of them, but basically, and, and the, the two are the ones that I just sort of latch onto as the biggest things. If you're a quiz master and you're noticing that your quizzes are taking 45 minutes to complete or longer, let's say an hour, uh, the, the number one biggest thing that you can control is the time between your quizzes, right? Um, that can be 15 minutes. It can be three minutes, right? You have control over that stuff. There is definitely work that you have to do, especially in virtual, right? There's, there's, there's more work to do in virtual than non-virtual. Uh, but that work shouldn't take more than about two or three minutes. Like it's re it's not insurmountable amount of work. It's, it's some copying, pasting, and, you know, a few other little gizmos and so forth, but it's not a ton of, of excess work per se. Uh, you can get it done in two or three minutes. You can also take 15 or 20 minutes to get it done, right? And that's a, that's a giant difference of time. So that's, that's number one. Number two is you can control the time between questions, right? So you count somebody correct and you lead into the next question that spans of time before you start the the official preamble and I, and when i say the official preamble i'm saying where you are calling out question the the next question so you've completed question number 1 and you're beginning now to say question number 2 is a blank question right uh question number 2 question that begin of that sort of almost mantra-esque sort of role of, of sequence of words is the beginning of question two prior to when that starts and at the end of calling somebody correct or incorrect uh, that space of time is your second greatest opportunity to control i think what is extraordinarily dangerous and bad is to try to control the time in the question itself Right. So if you feel like you're behind and let's say you are behind, let's say you're a quiz master and you're behind by like 10 or 15 minutes and you need to catch up uh, on time. Do not read your questions faster. Um, do not do anything at all inside the question. Uh, and by that, I mean, from the beginning of calling the, you know, question number two is a blank question all the way up until you call correct or incorrect or rule on something. Do not shorten any of that. Um, keep that as absolutely consistent as possible. Um, now, there are certain things that you shouldn't do normally, right? So if somebody is clearly correct or incorrect, count them correct or incorrect in that moment. Don't wait, don't wait for their 30 seconds to conclude. Don't say, have a seat for a second, go chat with your answer judge for two or three minutes about it. If they're correct or incorrect, count them correct or incorrect in that moment and continue, right? But that shouldn't be different whether you are ahead of schedule, on schedule, or behind schedule, right? Um, so you want to keep your reading pace calm, consistent, and, and, and really consistent is the biggest thing, right? So that question 1, 2, 10, 15, 20, they're all read as close to exactly the same as you can get, right? Um, but then I think... The other value is if you are practicing shorter deltas of time between questions, right? I think that actually aids to your consistency for quizzers, right? So if a, if you have a, and I'm not, it's not about clock time per se, but let's say that there were, it was seven seconds on average 
with a, you know, very, very small standard distribution, right? Like, um, or variance, you, you have a somewhere between, let's say, six seconds and eight seconds of time between each question where after you rule and the beginning of the starting question, right? Whatever that time happens to be, whether it's six seconds, whether it's four, whether it's, you know, 15 seconds, with that remaining consistent, the quizzers get into that kind of almost a flow state. There's an expectation of... I can let my mind, like if you take a, a consistent 30 seconds, I can let my mind water, wander for 25 seconds and then come back and then be ready and, and hyper-focused. If it's consistently four seconds, it's like, okay, I can take a mental break for, you know, a breath or two. And then I, then I kind of ratchet back in my focus, right? Um, whatever you do, keep that consistent. I would recommend something smaller than 30 seconds, <laughs> but whatever you do, keep it consistent. I don't know. I, Scott, what do you think about those things or anything related? Yep. So you talked about between quizzes being a big way that you can either save time or let time drag. And you were mentioning like things that a quiz master has to do, but I think that that is almost a negligible part of it. I think the huge part is three teams and their coaches clearing the stage and three teams and their coaches coming onto the stage. And so whenever question 20 concludes, I will say into my mic or loudly to the room, I, I will say like, can the three teams please exit the stage quickly? Um, and then very quickly after they have exited, because like the scorekeeper is totaling things and getting initials, um, and maybe it's a smaller room, so some of the teams need to exit before other teams can get in. But like pretty quickly, I will then just announce. I, was, I will say, um, next up in here in quiz 16 is these three teams, and I'll read them out, and that's kind of a cue to them that like you can come onto the stage. But one thing I've learned is that coaches and quizzers will not go up onto the stage unless I will prod them somehow. It's very, very right. rare. And so right. I will say like, we are going to start practice jumps in one minute. And oftentimes the coach is like, Oh, well we should like do our talk before the quiz because we have to, I can't do that in, in a minute from now. Well, if you don't say that, well, no coaches, like very few coaches are gonna, and I'm not saying this to all coaches. It's just that they will not, force the start of the quiz right you're the one running the show and um as long as you're being reasonable with time just say like this is what's happening next right and i know like if i'm going to start anywhere close to the scheduled time i need to be need to be starting um testing lights two to three minutes before that right and usually i'm starting to test lights at the exact scheduled time knowing that i'm going to start two to four minutes after the scheduled time. But it's just like having an idea of like what all of these times are. And I mean, I, I've seen quizzes just drag 10 to 15 minutes in between because the quiz master didn't like clear the stage and then get the next people up. But then when it comes, comes to kind of the during slash between questions, one thing that you said that I did not, I'm realizing now I did not articulate is it's that the reason that expectation is so crucial is the as you stated this, the quizzer kind of subconsciously knows when they can take breaks. So, for example, if if I ask a really short interrogative, question number one, question, God did what? And a quizzer jumps and after one second answers it, I'm like, you are correct. Well, that's a really, really short amount of time on average for a question to take, question and answer and ruling. And so I will, I will usually take a couple extra seconds because um, I don't think quizzers are ready for me to begin the next run up to the question, even if 
I use the exact same amount of time between questions that I normally do. Usually I kind of just subconsciously, oh, that one was super short. So I will like give an extra couple beats. But I think quizzers know like, oh, I tried to jump. I didn't win the jump. I will have some downtime. But then they also know once Scott says like, you are correct, they have this sub subconscious unconscious expectation of how long it's going to be before I announce the next question type and start going, right? Because right. I've seen quiz masters who know they are behind will say, like, you are correct. Question number four is an interrogative. Question number four, question. And you can see the quizzers. They're physically scrambling because they, right. weren't, they weren't ready for it, right? And so, like, that should never happen, right? Um, so I'll say, you know, you're correct. And I'll give it a beat or two. And then I'll say, like, question number six is a multiple answer question. And from, like, once I start that in... Um, from that time on, it should be a very standard length of time. And this is also why I think fouls are important. I don't think fouls are important because they prevent quizzers from like gaining some competitive advantage. I think it's because they're disruptive. And so I need a way to call a foul because otherwise I'm endlessly kind of watching the lights and telling people to stay on their lights. And this is also why I will give a warning and then that's it. Because if I say question number one is a multiple answer question, question, watch your lights, question number, watch your lights. If I'm saying that, it's like, it's like you're, you're gearing everyone up. You're like, ah, oh, ah, oh. It's like, um, I don't know, you're, you're raising everyone's focus and then they have to drop it back. And that back and forth is really disconcerting to a quizzer. And so to me, a foul is a way that I can prevent a quizzer from disrupting that for everybody else. Right. You give a warning and then you award a foul and then you move on. And so, I mean, to me, that's really a big value of fouls is protecting the the timing expectation for everybody else. Yeah, I, I this is probably a terrible analogy, but to me, it feels like the quiz master is creating music with their cadence, whatever that cadence is. Right. And the quizzers are dancing. And the idea is you can pick whatever cadence you want, but it needs to be predictable so that the quizzers can dance to it, right? Um, it can't be jarring because it makes everybody's life harder, right? So I think I wouldn't advocate that this be done, but I think you can actually have your questions, your, your time between questions take half a second uh, and do the thing that you were just saying is a bad thing to do. I think it's not, it's suboptimal for a lot of reasons, but I think you can do it so long as if it is exactly consistent and quizzers can mentally dance to it, it's okay, right? The problem is if a quizzer is not used to it and suddenly gets slammed with a, oh, by the way, now we're, we're starting again. And if there's no, by the way, we're just starting, right? Like, then it's like, you can see the quizzers, like panic's not the right word, but it's definitely a, a scrambling of mental energy um, that has to happen. Like they, they don't have that time to sort of say, okay, normally I've had one and a half seconds to kind of go from not focused to hundred percent focus. Right. Um, and preventing that it's almost like the runner coming up to the start of a, you know, a sprint in track and field and the, you know, runners to your mark bang, right? It's like, wait, what, what just happened? <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Um, you, you need the, you need a, a, a moment to settle and you need that moment to be consistent. It, it's okay if it's fast, 
but it needs to be predictable so that you can have that moment to be like, here's how my muscles and my brain are going to get ready for that moment. Right. Yep. Cause it, and if your gap between questions is like a second, well, it's very easy for you to have a, um, a gap that is 100% or 200% different. Yes. <laughs> but if your, if yes. your gap is, you know, five to seven seconds, well, I mean, it's going to be rare that you're even 50% off, right? And it's just, you, you need to give everyone what they're expecting. And again, it's not like if you don't do that, it is then unfair for people. It is just suboptimal for them, right? Right. Because um, I know there was a quiz master who just was pretty inconsistent on the timing between questions. And I knew a coach that always instructed their quizzers, like, when we are in this room, you have to pay extra attention because we don't know when the next question is going to start. But if we do a better job at watching for it than the other teams, we we can gain an advantage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so kind of with that, let's move into some of the optimal sort of things we were talking about before, optimization of, of, of quizzing. So in terms of Quizmaster disposition, attitude qualities, there's a, you know, a multi dimensional sort of graph of all of these things. And what is it, what are some of the optimal things, at least in theory, and what can we gain from insights when we are suboptimal? So this is an interesting one because I'm a very specific type of quiz master, and I'd like to believe that that is the optimal quiz master, but um, I will try to talk about um, many different points of view. So to me, so we're talking about the optimal quiz master, like disposition and attitude and kind of qualities around that. So this is not anything to do with knowledge of the rule book or consistency in stopping or um, things like that necessarily. Um, but I think the quizzing experience is more consistent and because it's consistent, more fair and because it's more fair, better for everyone is when quiz masters introduce the least amount of other stuff. And I don't know if I could make other stuff synonymous with personality, um, but that is kind of a rough synonymization of it because to me, those things are just variances that I don't want to introduce into quizzing. But maybe that is only optimal, if it even is optimal, I'm not saying it absolutely is, but maybe that's only optimal for your most competitive quizzes where the most is on the line, the participants are have spent the most time preparing when ultimate like fairness and consistency is your maximum goal, right? But one thing that I do know is um, quiz masters can well, quizzing in general on a stage can be intimidating and scary, and you can be nervous. You have to go to a mic, you have to face people and speak. Um, quiz masters that do not throw in a whole lot of conversational talk can either make that worse or not make it better. And so I think there is absolutely a balance to be had. I mean, there, there was a time where I think I've mentioned this before. I did a, I looked at the accuracy in prelims in PNW across years. Um, and then I could see like, Oh, what is the difference between quiz masters? And there were some pretty big differences between quiz masters. And so I asked a bunch of quizzers who had recently graduated, like, why do you think the differences are? And like some of them were, oh, well, this quiz master just kind of rules more leniently. But other answers were um, like accuracy is always going to be higher in their room because they're always in room four, which is the smallest room, which is the least intimidating room. <laughs> and it is just easier to quiz in that environment, right? Or 
um, it's harder to quiz in room one. It's often the sanctuary. It's often empty, largely empty. It's just kind of intimidating and scary. And so I think there are lots of those realities too, where quiz mastering should not be optimal only for your older 12th grader, most experienced, most comfortable speaking in public type of quizzer, right? Right. Yeah. And I mean, looking at this one from a, I, I don't know if these are good terms to use, but sort of on one end of the spectrum, there's the stern quiz master, um, of which you are one and I am one now, um, and Tony was one and so forth, right? And then on the other end of the spectrum is, say, the fun quiz master, right? And looking back at, like, you know, my quiz mastering, I don't know, 15-something years ago, I was the fun quiz master. Um, I was I was anything but stern. Now, I was also not as good. Uh, my consistency was not that great. My stopping was not that great. Um, although, I mean, I, I actually eh, probably wasn't that bad. But I mean, my consistency of managing the quizzes was was nowhere near as good. My rulings were not as consistent, right? I wasn't as good of a quiz master, you know, 15 years ago, but I was a lot of fun, right? You know, we'd have, you know, jokes and we'd do practice jumps on Princess Bride trivia. And, you know, I had buttons that I threw at people, you know, it was fun. Of course, actually I did the buttons thing more recently than 15 years ago, but I mean, there was, there was, there was a fair bit of fun that I packed into every quiz. Um, I have reformed from my prior fun years and and I've become a lot more stern not in a you know you know stern librarian sort of way but um you know looking down and over my horn rimmed glasses at, at quizzers or anything like there's there's the you know before the quiz starts and after the quiz ends I'm you know I try to be as fun and engaging and personable as possible but then when we're in the quiz it's like no I want to be as predictable as possible I want to be as consistent uh, as possible and so you know that kind of works itself out to be kind of stern like you know during the during a quiz itself and I think uh, I don't know it, it's obviously I'm biased because I'm trying to be you know introspective while describing you know processes at the same time but it feels to me like stern is better purely because you have a greater opportunity of being more consistent. Um, I don't know. Does that seem fair? I think it does. And I mean, my absolute favorite quiz master was when I quizzed internationals back in the early 2000s, um, John Caskey was running room one. And yeah, you'd get the fun veggie tales questions during like the practice questions. But once he announced question number one, um, there was no... Uh, Saying wasted words makes it sound negative, but like it was like clockwork. Like you could have just plopped the way that he ran and read one quiz right on top of another and there was just no deviance ever. And to me, I don't know how anything could be better for a quizzer. Like it's hard enough to win a jump at internationals. You know, why would I want to try to like figure out what's happening different between questions and if I need to think about it or not, you know, I just want everything to be rock solid as expected, the same thing every time. And that's what Kesky was those years. Yeah. Well, any other thoughts on this one before we move on? I don't think so, but I, I mean, I think, I think we'd be very interested to hear what people's thoughts are, right? Because I think these different sorts of personalities or quiz master dispositions work best in different types of quizzes, but I'd also be interested what people think is the best mix, right? Because um, when I when I did all that data crunching and asked quizzers, like there was definitely 
kind of the dual expression of we love the brutal consistency from someone like Tony or Scott or Abby, and we like a little bit of the fun that we get from other quiz masters. And they kind of they definitely saw both aspects as very beneficial to their quizzing, right? Um, right. And no one no one really broke it down analytically to say like, oh, I want my quiz masters to be eighty twenty or sixty five thirty five. But you know, I would be very interested what people what other people would say like, and like we want to know even if it's your own opinion, you know, like what makes you most comfortable and most able to show what you've memorized. Yeah, indeed. I think my bias right now is one of be as fun as possible between the quizzes and as serious as possible in the quiz. Um, but uh, I'm very open to hearing how I'm wrong on any of those things. So, all right. Um, so philosophy, um, we talked last podcast a around some very big questions about what is quizzing trying to accomplish, not from a you know, a, a simple tactical perspective, and I shouldn't say simple because it's it's actually quite complex what we do at a tactical level, uh, but I'm thinking strategic and very long-term strategic, not even like within a single season, but say over the course of say 10 years of quizzing or 15 years of quizzing, like what are we trying to accomplish as a program? And how do we know if we're being successful, right? So, and of course that leads me to the, well, what we should be doing is, is achieving something that either is a metric or is something that produces a metric uh, that we can measure because that's what you do with metrics. But I'm biased toward making the metric the thing because if we use a metric as a proxy and we know it's a proxy, I've, I kind of sometimes worry that that thing becomes the goal rather than the actual goal. Um, and, you know, we've seen that a lot. I'm sure there's some sort of blah, blah, blah bias um, that I'm just not remembering the exact name of that, that basically encapsulates this idea. Um, so anyway, with that said, Scott, what do you think, I guess, what are some questions about this? How can we, what, what are, what's, what are our goals? What are we trying to accomplish? How do, how do we tell if we are successful? Uh, I don't think I'm the best one to ask this because I really don't know what the goals should be. I mean, kind of as I talked about with like my sports analogies, I think that um, the benefits, ergo the goals, um, could be many fold. And I would hesitate to prescribe certain of them as the most important. I don't know. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, there are some there are some short term immediate goals that I think are really, really good things that become almost unquantifiable over the course of, say, 10 or 15 years, right? So one of them is uh, the idea of honorable uh, sportsmanship, fair play, a sense of fair play, right? Uh, we want to follow the rules because it leads to a sense of fair play, right? The winner should be the person who, you know, put in the most time and outcompeted everyone, not the person who was able to, you know, cheat the best, right? And get away with it, right? And we, and, and I'm not saying quizzing has ever been that, is in any way or ever would be, but that's just sort of one example of like, you know, obviously we all agree we don't want one, we want the other, right? Um, and that sense of ethical, honorable, fair play and sportsmanship is a really great aspect of Bible quizzing. And I think it is of great benefit to participants of Bible quizzing, say 10 or 15 or 30 years after 
uh, quizzing that they had that experience because it, it, it shapes us, you know, and we take that idea into other aspects of our life. And I think that makes us better people and it makes the world better that we are better people like that in the world. Right. Um, but it becomes really difficult to metrificate that, uh, if I'm going to make up a word, which I just did $5, if you want to use it for trademark uh, reasons. Um, but if I'm going to metrificate the idea of sportsmanship over the course of like 15 or 20 years, like how on earth do you measure that? It's sort of this deep embedded ethic that somebody carries with them, right? That they yearn for the world to be a place of fairness, of fair play, you know, of consistency, of, you know, playing by the rules and, and that sort of stuff, right? Um, and how do you put that into numbers? I have absolutely no idea. And, and it seems like it would be impossible. Uh, I don't want to say declaratively that it is, but it certainly feels that way. Then there are other aspects of quizzing that I think don't show up for a number of years. So like we were talking about the idea of, of discipleship making, right? That, um, and I, I talked about this in the, uh, uh, devotions. I don't, I, Scott, did you happen to hear the devotions at all? I did not. Okay. Um, so I, I talked, I basically sort of tied the great, uh, commission, the last little bit of stuff that we memorized this year with the first bit of stuff that we would memorize next year, assuming that we did, uh, do James first. So I, I connected, uh, you know, the great commission to James chapter one, couple of different sections in James chapter one, and was talking around the idea that from my perspective, and I, I've mentioned this in, in previous, you know, podcast episodes, but I think Bible quizzing is the single best way to come to know the commandments of God. And I don't believe, I want to be very clear, I'm not a Gnostic. I don't believe knowledge saves, right? But we're told by John in the Gospel of John, and then also in the uh, uh, book of First John, uh, we're told that we will know, uh, we can we can know the quality of somebody's faith by the quality of their knowledge, because you want a person who has a deep abiding faith in God wants to follow God's commandments. And they don't find those commandments burdensome. They actually find them joyful to uh, follow those commandments, which means somebody with a deep faith wants to know God's commandments. We, we want to yearn for that knowledge, not because the knowledge saves, uh, but be, but because of the inverse uh, arrow, right? Um, there's a correlation that goes from uh, being saved and therefore yearning for that knowledge, right? To be able to follow God because of this love of God, right? Love of God means uh, uh, wanting to know and therefore, and also not therefore, and wanting to follow the, the commandments. And from my perspective, like I said, I think quizzing, and obviously I'm super biased here, but I don't think I'm wrong. I think Bible quizzing is the single best way to learn and come to know and truly know uh, God, God's commandments. I mean, I think certainly we can read scripture and learn. We can, you know, go to seminary and learn. And those things are very good things, right? We can go to Sunday school and learn. We can listen to sermons and learn and listen to devotionals and learn something too. Um, and all of those things are good, right? But there's something particularly 
extra good about writing scripture on our heart. And, you know, I've, I referenced Deuteronomy chapter six, where, you know, it talks about, you know, these, these commandments I give you today are to be written on your heart, right? They are to be written in, within you and then, you know, tie them to your, your foreheads and bind them to your wrists and so forth. And that's all part of it as well. But this idea of like the commandments are, are not just to be learned, but like deeply embedded within you, right? And I think quizzing is the best way to go about doing that. And so, you know, tying that back into the Great Commission of like, we are called to make disciples of all nations, all peoples, right? We are called to go out and make disciples. Okay, well, how do we go and make disciples? Well, that's followers of Christ. Well, followers of Christ love Christ. They love God. Ergo, they are going to yearn for this knowledge. And I think there's this bi-directional causality that happens between you know, yearning to know God's commandments and the deepening of one's faith, right? You do one, it leads to the other, you do the other, it leads to one and so forth, right? Um, and I know I just contradicted something I said before, but I'm, I'm not saying knowledge saves, but the, the going after the knowledge can in fact deepen a faith that's already there. Let, let me be clear about that, right? And I think Bible quizzing is, 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 super great for that. Now, how do I metrificate that? I don't know, right? But I think I can see the aggregate effects of a failure of that in the larger society in, you know, the West. And and I'll, I'll limit this down to the US and Canada, right? Um, in, in, rather than a much larger definition of the West, right? But within the US and Canada, I can see the sort of within the church, a failure of understanding the depth and awesomeness of God's word over the course of like several different generations, right? This is not something that's happened in the last five years or 10 years or 20 years. This is like, you know, 50 years, 60 years, a hundred years, maybe, I don't know. I haven't been around long enough to, 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 to get enough data, but it's this very long, slow move away from deep involvement in God's word. And certainly, you know, yeah, that's happening at the lady level. And yes, as a pastor, I'm going to condemn a lot of pastors for failing to address this. Right. And I think a lot of blame is at the pastorate level as well, but like wherever the blame is, I, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not even really sure I care about blame per se. It's really more like I want to identify it and change the direction. And to me, quizzing is the, one of the very few ways I think of actually changing that big long-term thing, right? And we're not talking about something that is a change in one quizzer's life. Um, we're talking about something that is a change in hundreds and thousands of quizzers' lives that then shifts the direction of the entire ship over the course of, say, 20 or 30 or 40 years, right? Now, I think there are ways to metrificate that 30-year shift. Um, I haven't quite figured out how to break that down into something smaller. So anyway, I've babbled on for a very long time. Scott, what do you think about any of that? Well, I think a lot of it also, um, you use the competition as a proxy, right? Just like in a sport, you're teaching teamwork and hard work and learning and failure and success and um, different ab abilities and all this stuff. But you kind of judge the general success by um, via the competitive structure, right? Where like... Um, speech and debate, you know, you're wanting to develop public speaking skills, preparation skills, critical thinking skills, um, and a host of other things, but you kind of, um, 
you're using the competition as a proxy of how well you're doing at that thing. But you're, you're not saying like, well, because you did well, um, you have to have learned all this stuff that we want you to learn. But it's like it's our best way to kind of proxy it at scale. Um, and then it, it's up to the people in charge of the smaller scope, maybe like be it parents or um, more local coaches or, you know, what have you to try to get at a finer grained goal where it's desired. And I think quizzing follows a really similar thing, right? We're not sitting here saying that um, any quizzer that scores better than another is um, in a better state spiritually, but it's a it's a proxy of sorts, right? Yeah, kind of. And I'm not even really... I, I want to be really, really clear. I don't want anyone to even think that that I'm I or Scott are trying to advocate a view that somebody who memorizes more is going to be spiritually better off, right? Uh, I, I I don't want to ever get to that level. That's not that's not the point. Rather, I think as an individual, because the whole idea of comparing, you know, one quizzer to another in that regard, in in terms of like, what's your level of spirituality? Well, mine's a level 37, mine's a level 42. Like, that's just that I, I that makes me deeply uncomfortable. And I'm, I, I, I hate that idea. I think what matters more is like, are you saved or not? Right? I, I want the Boolean question to be answered. Okay, great. Once that's answered, once you're once once you know the answer is yes, you know you've you know Christ is your Lord and Savior. Okay, now what is what can you do where you are right now to increase your knowledge? Right, um, and then after that, what can you do next? Right, and it's at a very individual level. Right, so it's not so much for me. It's not so much like you know only those who go to internationals will get to heaven or anything you know crazy and dumb like that but rather more like how do we maximize the amount of knowledge that every quizzer would get by being in quizzing that they wouldn't get by not being in quizzing how do we like push everybody t- closer to god um and by doing that over the course of say 20 30 40 50 years after quizzing, right? Um, what does that do to Christendom in the U.S. and Canada? Yeah, and I think one concept that is useful. It, I I learned it from my economic schooling, which was ceteris paribus, which means like all things being equal. So I think a safe statement would be like all things being equal. Having memorized more is a good th- is a better thing than having memorized less. Assuming everything else is the same. Right. 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 Um, and that's like, and it comes from economic modeling, but with the caveat that um, life is in life, you're not able to hold to promise that everything else is held constant. And so, the amount of um, insight you can gain from a model where you hold everything constant and change one thing and see what the effect is, you gain a little bit of knowledge. But um, life is not that simple. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Well, any other ideas you want to throw into this one? I don't really think so. Actually, the last question, because I, I, I basically just asked it, and then I assumed that the answer was no quizzing wins. But is quizzing the most efficient and effective way to produce this outcome that we're talking about, even though we haven't exactly metrificated the outcome? Is quizzing the best way? I think it is, and but I'm, I'm super biased, and I have no data to support this other than the scientific study I just made up in my head. But like... 
you know, is quizzing the most efficient and effective way to do this? I mean, potentially. I mean, I, again, it, there are just so many different variables, right? But I think many people would consider um, the average youth group experience to be very kind of vanilla and um, not terribly in depth, right? And um, quizzing is, I don't know. I think I would favor anything like quizzing or um, any sort of preaching, which is more, um, which is less selective on the topic and versus being covered and is more um, contextual or chunk based. Right. Right. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Because you could probably encounter a random church's sermons that cover, you know, a total of 23 verses over the course of, you know, a year and um, because choice is being made and I don't know, humans don't often make the greatest choices. Yeah. I mean, that definitely is something I've noticed, you know, as a pastor of pastors, uh, you know, in my roles of, you know, in, in boards and, and, and credentials committees and so forth, or a credentials committee and so forth, a singular committee there. Um, I've definitely noticed there's, you know, pastors have certain things that they're very passionate about and so what tends to happen is they tend to preach about that thing um, over and over and over again. Uh, and, you know, not that that thing is particularly bad or wrong. In fact, it's usually really, really good. It's usually a really, really good thing, but it's preached to the exclusion of other topics. And so what ends up happening is the laity of a church, the congregation of a church, basically shifts from a full, rich awareness of Christianity to something that's very hyper-focused on, you know, one or two or three sort of uh, parts of Christianity. And um, I think that's that's detrimental, uh, ultimately. I, I will answer the question myself by saying, I think quizzing is the most effective and efficient way right now. Um, that's not to say that quizzing is ultimately the best thing we're ever going to come up with. Um, and it's not even to say that quizzing is historically the most efficient effective way either i think maybe there could be arguments to be made that ways in the more distant past were more efficient and effective um but i think where we are right now i don't see anything that exists right now that even comes close to quizzing and it's difficult for me to imagine something that would i mean now that could just be a failure of my you know, capabilities of imagination. Um, so I definitely don't want to stifle innovation on this, you know, front. If you've got, you know, particular ideas, go for it, right? Because we, we need more ideas, not fewer. Um, but at least right now, I think quizzing is the, is the most effective and efficient way uh, to get to the outcome. All right. Well, and on that bombshell, uh, I will say, you know, uh, we definitely want to hear from you if you disagreed with anything uh, that we've been talking about in this or any other podcast. Really, we want to hear from you if you have any sort of comments at all. But we uh, bias toward, uh, you know, promoting the comments from folks that we disagree with or who disagree with us. We we like to hear from you the most uh, because we learn, I think, the most from hearing uh, different points of view. So please send us your differing points of view. Uh, you can email us at iq at cbqz.org and you can follow us on Twitter. Our account is at Inside Quizzing. And you can also chat with us in almost real time on the Slack forum, uh, pound inside dash quizzing. And with that said, I will say thank you all for listening and thank you, Scott.
Thank you, Griffin, and thanks to all of our listeners.